the energy systems to me is more like there's a continuum of muscle fibers from slow oxidative to pure fast glycolytic and a bunch of hybrids that can do both. How do we train them all to do what they can do best? Like a super fast twitch fiber is never going to have tremendous endurance. It's just not. It's your one rep max fiber. And a super slow fiber is not going to be strong. But in the middle, there's a lot of range, a lot of spectrum. How do we get aerobic capacity all the way as far up the fast spectrum as we can and get strength and power down towards the slow ones? And that's, I think, how you build a CrossFit engine. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. to you by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training-related content to people just like you. The site features in-depth articles, movement breakdowns, and our online training program, The Protocol. And I offer one-on-one remote coaching for fitness athletes. So I hope you check it out. Head over to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. See you there. Today we got on the show Matt Webke of the Games Lab, and Matt is sort of a fitness guru, for lack of a better word, and is really known for helping people develop their engine. So their ability to be able to produce horsepower on, especially the different ergs, like the row or the assault bike, um, some of those main ones that are tested in our sport a lot, he's really known for helping people develop their capacity in those disciplines. Matt's a really impressive dude himself. He like rose like 100K a week. <laughs> and uh, I remember him saying that he rode a marathon at like a 151 pace, which is incredible. He would have gotten done about like a half hour before everybody else of the games, uh, or at least like 20 minutes. And yeah, just a really impressive dude all around. He's super strong as well. It's not just about his engine. Um, he's been a master's games athlete and... He's probably actually best known for his um, supplemental programming, which is uh, known as Gear of the Engine, which people have probably heard of. And he's also offering some one-on-one coaching now. So if you're interested, he's got a website, thegameslab.com. And he's also on Instagram at thegameslab1. So Matt was actually in the corporate world. He was a quantitative analytics guy, sort of corporate job before he got into CrossFit. And then you can just hear the way he talks about um, physiology and the way that he thinks about training and program design. It's just a little bit different, a little bit more nuanced and technical than a lot of the other coaches that I know. But that's something I really appreciate about our conversation today. And today we get into a number of different topics, including like how to build an aerobic base, training directed towards specific fiber types, the role of strength and power in athletic performance, overcoming relative weaknesses, and why we love the sport of fitness. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Matt Webke. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I'm going to throw you sort of a random quote here at the beginning, and we'll just jump right into it. If we want to backpedal and do any background or other stuff beforehand, we can, we can do that afterwards. I want to start off by asking you about this statement. Now, this is a statement I've heard from a couple different games level coaches, um, and it is building strength takes years and conditioning takes months. What do you think about that statement? Oh man, that's, that's, I feel like I was there when that statement like was first made in the context of CrossFit. And I believe that time was the 2012 uh, regionals, which I competed in. And at the end of it, there's a lot of frustration. Like, you know, I'm just going to go long. Like everything's long now. I just want to go long. Like keep in mind, 2012, people were doing Fran and like posting their time. It was still a big deal. So it was all about going short and powerful. And then you get to the regional and there's like 18 minute workouts. No one's doing those. And kind of the consensus at that regional, and I think throughout the sport, was like, I'm, I'm just going to start going long. And I think in the short term, people had success with that. And that was where that quote came about. 
And I, I embraced it at the time. I was like, well, I'm already strong and it took years to get strong. So if it just takes months to do conditioning, perfect. I'll be ready for next year. Um, as I went down that journey, I, I realized that that statement is, is misleading in the sense of any physiological adaptation to get excellent at it takes years. Like if you want to just be in decent shape, do CrossFit for six months, you're going to be in better shape than the person that didn't do CrossFit for six months or isn't active. But if you really want to get fit as a competitor or strong as a competitor or excellent at gymnastics as a competitor, all of those take years. So with the benefit of 10 years of CrossFit experience and just general fitness knowledge, I would say, no, it's not true at all. If you want to raise either adaptation to the same level of excellence, you need to dedicate the same amount of time. And I think that came about just because people like in 2012 or whenever this really gained some traction, everyone kind of new strength training. You know, if you played football in high school or you just were kind of a gym rat, you knew that you squat, you get strong, you deadlift, you get strong. So people understood that. Whereas the level of conditioning fitness in CrossFit in 2012 was nowhere near where it is now. There were guys in 2012 who could squat 500, not a lot, but they were there. There was no one who could row a 2K and, you know, 615 in CrossFit. It, it, it was incomprehensible at that point. So I don't think any coaches who were saying that understood how far CrossFit would take the conditioning side of things. We kind of had a handle like, all right, a 300 snatch is going to be big. You know, no one's ever going to hit 400, but a 300 is going to be huge. A 400 clean is like an upper limit. People could understand that. There wasn't enough context to, I'm, I'm trying to be charitable towards those coaches who said this incredibly <laughs> wrong statement and see where they were coming from. Yeah. Right? But I, I think it's just no one understood how far the conditioning was going to go. So it was like, all right, if I'm super strong and well-conditioned, that's a CrossFitter. Well, for an elite CrossFitter, it's I have to be super strong and extremely well-conditioned. And, you know, again, going back to where I started, getting both of those things to an excellent level takes years. Any physical discipline. You want to get excellent at archery, you better dedicate years. You want to get excellent at, you know, basketball, it's years. So strength and conditioning are no different. And I think that statement reflected the state of the – CrossFit world in, you know, 2012. But I think now most coaches would say, well, actually, excellence takes years, period. And if your coach doesn't say that, come work with us because that's what we think. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, that might still be true for some like, you know, sanctionals or a little bit lower level competitors mm-hmm. or like sub elite, where if you're yeah. super strong and you yes. have an acceptable engine, you can do pretty well mm-hmm. in the sport. But you, you won't ever sure. be that top tier, you right. know, a full-time sponsored athlete if you're, if you don't have the conditioning aspects as well. So I think that's exactly right. And that's where it leads into one other thought, like lack of strength is a brick wall that you can't get over. You have to go through it with more strength. It's like in those workouts we've seen in the past where you, you know, in the open 16, two, 19, two heavier and heavier cleans. Like if you couldn't hit the 275 clean, you're finished. You could row a 2k and 545, the biggest engine in the world. If you can't lift the weight, you're done, mm-hmm. period. I think strength may be like a teeny bit more important, whereas there's never like a conditioning brick wall. You just do the workout slower. So I think it's easier for people to grasp the strength side of things because it's like a it's a step function. You either can or you can't. With conditioning, you always can, just you might be last. Hmm. So I think that kind of changes the way people think about it as well or sort of clouds their, their judgment. Right. I think it also might be coming from a place of like – getting back in shape might take months. Like if you're detrained and you were an elite level, you know, fitness in terms of conditioning, you can certainly get back into shape in that amount of time. But if you never had it, that still takes a different road to get there. You got it. So, yeah. So, so I think in 2021, people see it a little more, 
you everything you just said about like sanctional level, maybe super strong with an okay engine, but like full-time competitor, high level games qualifier, it takes years across the board. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Let's transition back a little bit. Uh, so you are possibly better known as the games lab. There's probably a lot of people have heard of that. Possibly. Even if they haven't yeah. heard your name, I'm sure they've heard of that. A lot of people in space. Yes. Which it's you. <laughs> um, well, there's, there's one well, two other people, you, but, but yeah. 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 But I started this mess. Right. How did it start? It started um, kind of as a kind of as a hobby. I had uh, moved to New Orleans from Florida. When I was in Florida, I owned a gym. I moved to New Orleans. I was only there for a short term, a uh, couple of years. My wife at the time was finishing her um, um, her like school, so so I didn't have time to like get a job and transition. So, you know what? I'm just going to coach online with what I know. A lot of other people doing it. I'll do it part time. It'll be a hobby. We. Uh, had some success with the conditioning program, and that kind of led me to dig in and say, you know what, like I, I'm, I'm getting some traction here. Let's 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 keep going and growing it. And you know, a couple of years of hard work later, it's gotten really big. So it just started as like you know a hobby, like alongside my training. You're in the gym anyway. You might as well help other people. You like to coach. You were a gym owner. You're not in a position to own right now. How else can you you know explore this passion that you have? So that's really where it came from. Then it, it just kind of grew from there. That's that's cool. That's, no, those stories are always good to hear. Um, yeah, because it, it basically started when you were, I don't know if you owned it completely, but it was like your gym. And then you also were like basically giving the Gaines Lab programming as sort of like an add-on aspect of that. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I, when I set up the CrossFit gym that I owned in Florida, it was kind of like I had had a decent run in the corporate world. So I wasn't like, all right, I need this gym to like pay my bills day to day. It was like, you know what? I love CrossFit. I have a level two. This is the next logical step. I'm in my late thirties. Like I'm, I'm a little more set than, you know, a 22 year old just starting out. So let's give this a shot. And I recognize right away, like, yo, we should have an online component. We should have a virtual component. So when I had to sell the gym to move, I sort of really just stuck with that same plan, just no longer owning the gym. But I, I sort of always knew that like fitness would need a virtual side of it. And a lot of the growth of CrossFit is directly linked to the, the expansion of social media. So like there's a, there's a natural synergy there that I felt with like, I like to do this. I think I can make a living doing it. And, you know, a decade later, seven years later, here we are. Cool. Yeah. yeah so there's a number of different things that you offer on um, the site, which would be the gameslab.com. If you're interested, check it out. You got not just like, you know, stuff that you can purchase on there, but also like a really good um, base of what you would call, it's like a knowledge tab. So it's basically like educational resources, which is really in depth and detailed and really good stuff. Um, People should check it out for sure. Yeah. And one of the programs that you have on there is the year of the engine, um, which is, I don't know if it's your most popular one, but it's certainly one that I've heard a lot of people talk really highly of, and it's really well-respected in the community. You just want to explain what that is really quickly. Yeah, sure. So when I started getting better at CrossFit, I live in that world of like, you were already strong when you got to the gym, but your engine is bad. And no matter how much work I did, you know, my first approach was like, I'll just do more Metcons, three Metcons a day. Oh, seven minutes of burpees. Let's do it again, you know, for the eighth (laughs) time this week. This is probably 2013, 14. And I, I got a little better, but it was like, I was exhausted, burnt out, diminishing, um, returns had set in. So I just didn't wait. There's gotta be a smarter way. So I went to the CrossFit games in 2016. I was lucky enough to qualify, did pretty well in a couple of events and pretty badly in some others. I walked away from that and went, okay, I need to really be serious about like capacity, like real serious, not just Metcons, not just rowing long, but like, I need to figure this out. 
And that's sort of where it started. So I, I put it out there and it kind of caught on on Reddit. Like, yo, this is a conditioning program that works. And it worked because it was things that I had tried a thousand times before it finally worked. It wasn't <laughs> like, oh, I just thought of this. Like, no, I've done all the other stuff. And if you want to destroy your shoulders, do these other things. But this is what I finally figured out over time. And it was originally just a 12-week program designed as like a tune-up. I didn't even go with like the ear of the engine, the engine builder. It was like, do Matt's program. And in the very beginning, I was like texting people the workouts that I wrote them out by hand. You know, very like just a hobby. Yeah. But it kind of caught on. People are like, you know, this actually works. You know, again, trial and error. It works because I did everything wrong first. And it sort of got to like, all right, I finished the 12 weeks. What's next? So I had two voices in my head. The first is like, okay, they like this. So like there might be a business here. And the second is like, yeah, what is next? Like I need to figure <laughs> this out. And the things you talked about before about like the, the knowledge and the articles, that mostly reflects what I learned as I studied the conditioning aspect of fitness more and more. So I grew it to a year, which is where the year of the engine comes from. And I just thought that was a cool name. It was like, you know, the year of the engine, the year of the snake, the year of the ox is year of the engine. Like, Sounds like that, a movie. You know? Right. Yeah. It's like a movie or I don't know what, but it, it's just like, it's more memorable than like a Gaines lab conditioning program. You know, it's like the year of the, oh, that's cool. Year of the, yeah. It just, it stuck. So now I, I, I got into that and I started to spend some time with some uh, boxers and some um, mixed martial artists and sort of understood like the similarities in what they do with what we do as far as like unpredictably changing intensity in the middle of a fight or hmm. a workout. Sometimes you have moderate intensity and it's really high really fast and the stakes go up because you might get punched in the face and then you need to recover from that intensity during the bout. So is it, do you take it to the ground? Is it, you avoid the other fighter? And I started to see a lot of similarities of like, all right, I was rowing and now I got to do heavy squat snatches and that really takes a lot out of me. And then it's wall balls and I have to recover on those wall balls. What does the conditioning look like for that? And that's really what took it from like 12 weeks to 12 months to now it's 36 months. And I have, I have a few people who are all the way through and, at the risk of sounding excessively self-promotional, they're doing fantastic stuff. I had a guy roll like a 1641 5K on the rower. And he, he's not a games athlete. He's like a pharmacist. Like he's a recreational CrossFitter who just like, I'm going to commit to this. And it's working really well. So it kind of, it went from, hey, here's a tune-up, something I did, had some gains to like, oh, wait a minute. This is like, people really want more of this and there's more to be done. It, it was nice when the, the business aspect of things kind of line up with like intellectual curiosity. And as I'm yeah, studying and learning more and testing more, I'm getting more interest from other athletes who are like, yo, if you got, if you got months four, five and six, I'm down for that. And now I have all the way to 36. So um, it's become the three years of the engine, which doesn't catch on as well. And I, I said to one of our other coaches, like, I want to make it four years long. So I can be like, you have a degree in conditioning. Oh, that's cool. But it's kind of funny, right? But I, but I also promised myself I wouldn't program just to program. Like every next stage is a new stimulus to like add to the conditioning side of things. When I got to the end of the 12th stage, 36 months, I think that's it. I think that's like, there's no, you know, you have, it's like glycolytic power, buffering protons, aerobic capacity across slow, medium, hybrid, and fast muscle fibers. It's all there. After three years, it takes, you know, back to the beginning of the interview, it takes years. Those are the way to spend the years, in my opinion. I don't think there's anything more to do. It's only going to be an associate's degree, I think, with like a little more. It's never going to be. A, I don't think there's 12 more months needed. I, you know, like obviously, if your goal is to be super elite, you got to keep going. Right. But I don't think there's any new stimuli that I need to add. And I think someone who completes all three years or even one year, 
understands pacing well enough to know what they need, you know, understands fatigue, understands like, all right, when this happens during the workout, it's because my pH in my cells is getting too low. I need to adjust that with this. I don't think most crossfitters off the street know that. I think some coaches know, but if you complete 12 months plus of the program, you'll, you'll, you'll pace by feel, which I think is another reason it kind of got pretty successful was people were like, wait a minute. Like I know how this translates to my Metcons now. I'm on the rower. I know this feeling. Like this is what I need to back off. So that means I started too hot. And there, there's a pace by feel aspect of it that I think a lot of other programs, you know, might not have as well developed. Hmm. Yeah, I think games athletes always have like this incredibly hard time explaining how they attack workouts because I think yeah. like so often it is by feel for them. And yeah, I think one of the reasons why that is, is because when your capacity is as high as it is and like their raw conditioning and yeah. all their strength metrics are well above what they need to, to be able to, you know, do whatever workouts, it's basically like a cyclical workout at that point in most. Totally. So exactly I right. guess that's how they can get away with doing that. in most of the workouts like pacing by feel, because they're not going to, you know, blow up, so to speak and tank and know the workout as much. Right. And they can feel on the red lining. That's right. That's exactly right. Or it's like, you know, how, I've even been through this myself and I'm, I'm at best like a marginally attached master's games athlete far from elite. I know like, all right, I have to get these cleans done by the end of this time period or the workout times out. So I know like, all right, I have time for three. Like I just know I can do three. If there's five left, I know the workout's over. If there's two left, I know how to, so you just, you tend to develop that for the real high level competitors. The challenge is not how do I pace this workout? It's in a weekend with seven workouts or 12 at the games, how do I pace workout number four? So that in workout number nine, I am still in the fight. And now like in the world of like Matt Frazier is not competing anymore. Someone else actually has, that, that means a lot of money to somebody now. Like it's a really big deal. So for those top 10 guys, really top 20, it's more like, how do I pace this workout? They know if you're at the games, you know how to pace a workout, but how do I pace five days of workouts. That's like the next level challenge that, that is almost kind of a, a one-on-one coaching problem. I don't think that can be solved remotely. I think you need to see your athlete and really have an ongoing dialogue, but that's, that's the really advanced conditioning challenge, which is kind of unique to CrossFit. I don't, I don't think enough coaches get into that. But. Yeah. You're doing individual design as well, right? Yes. Cool. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Coaching. Yeah. The one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, um, we have a, you talked about the programs before, again, I don't want to plug myself too much, but like there's a strength program, there's a competitors program, and you know as well as the engine program. Um, and we recently added some one-on-one coaching. There's a, I mean, that's the fastest way to make gains is work one-on-one with a knowledgeable coach. The problem is it's to make it work. The price is a little higher than like monthly programming. Yeah, absolutely, it has and to. Be. It, you know, exactly, and and it takes up a lot of time. So it's kind of on a, you know, somewhat limited services basis. We're looking for about 15 or 20 athletes maybe to join us. But yeah, we do. Um, we have a one-on-one coaching thing. It's not on the website yet. It's going to probably go up during the open when people are like super curious about how to improve their fitness over the next year. That's what we're trying to, uh, you know, line it up with. But yeah, there is a, there is a brand new one-on-one coaching thing. Cool. Yeah. Um, I'll link to social media on the show notes. I'll link to it or I'll speak about it and you know tell people at the beginning. So yeah, they know where to find you. Cool. I want to d- dive into some of the energy systems training and conditioning aspects. So one of the things that is super tough about energy systems training in general, if you're trying to give it to a bunch of people, so I'm talking about like you're the engine, for example, it's if you have people of varying abilities, each person, if they do the exact same workout, unless it's written in a certain way, is going to get a different stimulus from like that workout. Yeah. So exactly. one of the things I've seen you do is like write the workouts in a specific way 
where it's sort of what I would call like auto-regulated or like individualized essentially for different individuals. So for example, um, you gave, uh, one of your workouts is like death by row calories where for example, it might start at like 15 and then like, mm-hmm. it's on the minute. So like minute one is 15 minute two is 16 yep. until you fail. You like just keep adding one and one and then everybody's going to fail at their same threshold, but that right. is going to occur at a different spot. That's it. What other, like you could be specific protocols that you give or just like, you know, kind of concepts, um, that you can kind of create that individualization within the program. Well, those death by programs and the ascending stuff is for advanced athletes or for once in a while stuff because it takes a lot out of you. Yeah, absolutely. Like if your max pace you can do is maybe 27 calories a minute on the bike, you go to 24, you got 11 seconds left. 25, you got nine seconds left. 26, you got two seconds left. And then you're going to expire metaphorically in the next minute so like and almost expire for real or maybe literally (laughs) try to push through it but that that takes a lot out of you and the reason it takes a lot out of you is you're recruiting a lot of fast twitch glycolytic fibers and when you when you fatigue them they don't come back fast so you ever see like super fast twitch athletes have bad endurance that's why so if you if you make somebody who's pure fast twitch do you know a 10 minute wad it's they're going to be on the floor for a while it takes so those, those death by workouts do that. But one of the breakthroughs we had was like, you know what? We're not going to give you calorie pacing or Watts or per 500 meters or anything. It's just more of a guideline of like, Hey, there's a lot of intervals, the way to pace intervals so that every interval has the same output. So if it's calories, like there's a workout in the first week of the year, the engine, 18 rounds, row 30, rest 30. And if you come out and your first interval is 19 calories, because you just decided to light the rower on fire, and your fifth interval is four calories. It's not at all the stimulus we're looking for. Ideally, every workout or every round would be 10. And then the next time it would be 11, right? And it's like for intervals, pacing it consistently is how you make sure you get the maximum recruitment of muscle fibers and stress to those muscle fibers. If you come out blazing hot, then you fatigue the fast switch fibers quickly and you they're not properly trained. If you come out super slow, then you then you leave some gains on the table because you didn't stress yourself enough. Now, it's not, again, in the first week, you're not going to know pacing by feel. So as you, we tell people, like, start a little slow, eight calories. All right, that's easy. Nine, that's easy. 10, right, 11. Oh, 11's hard. Let's fight for 11 every time. So that's that's really like, that'll give you the right stimulus without me saying like, based on this athlete's 2K of uh, 710, you should be at the... It's hard to know. And that's one of the interesting things about the year of the engine is like, People have said to me, what's the most important part of building an engine? And at first, they used to be like, you need endless oxidative capacity. Big aerobic engines can help you across the board. That's still true. That's the foundation. But a couple of years ago, I built a house and I realized the first thing I did was not the foundation. The first thing I did was clear away all the shit that's on the lot. So the first 12 weeks is like, look, this athlete was a cyclist. And it turns out at low intensity, he's good for five hours of work. And this girl over here is a swimmer in college and she swam, you know, the 100. So she's on fire in the first minute. And then like, we got to get her oxygen in minute three. And like those people don't, their, their, their top line numbers don't tell you that much. So the first week is like, all right, you have, you know, the giant glycolytic engine. We need to just lightly monitor that and build up the other stuff. And you have endurance out the wazoo. So we're going to give you a little more speed and power to speed you up and keep that endurance in place. And that's what the first 12 weeks is like clearing away the the crap from your past 
fitness life and then the oxidative capacity and then the speed and power and then the more advanced stuff. So that's why we don't have like an explicit pace. Like, you know what, you're going to, you bring a lot of training baggage to the gym. And even if you're getting off the couch for the first time in 10 years, that lack of training is training baggage. So whatever imbalances you have, we're going to fix them in the first 12 weeks because if you try to layer endless oxidative capacity on type of a, on top of a glycolytic beast, she's going to have a rough time for the first six weeks and either give up or just like, this isn't working. I've been doing this for six weeks and nothing's changed. Right. Because you're so fast twitch dominant. It turns out it's going to take a little longer. Here's how we're going to, we're going to bridge you from a glycolytic beast to an oxidative beast. We're going to bridge some hybrid muscle fiber type stuff to get you there gradually rather than saying, stop being fast twitch. Let's be slow twitch. It's not going to work. She's been fast twitch for a decade. Right. So the clearing away the, Clearing away the fitness baggage is really the first step before the um, the building the foundation. So that, that was one of the breakthroughs we had too. And that's why we don't have pacing, like explicit, all right, 150 per 500. Because just because you wrote a 2K, I don't have all of your fitness data in front of me to know like, all right, well, you know, in your 2K, like your first 500 was 135 and then you collapsed, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, I didn't watch you roll the 2K and that's only one data point. So to overcome that, I was like, all right, well, what is... What do we need? Like if you're coming to the gym, like you need an orientation for your engine. And that 12 weeks is like, all right, we're going to smooth out the imbalances so that because otherwise you just if you leave your imbalances in place, you just get better at what you already do. Like, oh, I'm super aerobic. So everything I do is going to reflect that bias. We need to level that out a little bit before you build on it. And then we start with pacing and other goals after that. Yeah, it's almost like training the compensation rather than the adaptation that you want. Yes. You got it. Uh, yeah. Is there a way that you test for someone's like glycolytically or oxidatively bias, which is for people listening, <laughs> this is not hundred percent accurate, but people would might think of it as like aerobic versus anaerobic, like power versus endurance. Like those are the terms we're talking uh, about. We, we can do that. But when I think of what Greg did with the, with like, Hey, there's three energy systems. Like back in the day when the CrossFit Journal articles still had like the drawing of the dog on them, you know, the really old <laughs> stuff, like the three energy systems. Yeah. I always remember that his initial foray into CrossFit, his creation of it, and the way he rolled it out was based on walking into like a gold gym and seeing like machines and treadmills and going, okay, so I lift machines and then I walk on a treadmill and this is not fitness. And then the three energy systems was like, you got to think differently about it. CrossFit in the intervening decade has taken it so much further along that I think the, the thinking on that kind of conditioning has gotten even more advanced. Um, how to test for it? You can test somebody's glycolytic power if you just give them like 30 seconds max effort on the bike. The problem is body weight is a huge confounding variable there. So I have a guy in my year of the engine group. He's like, my 10 minute time trial on year of the engine was only 150 calories. Okay. He weighs 135. I'm like, that's a crazy score. Like that's 1.1 times your body weight is outstanding. Some other guy got 210. He weighs 260. Like, <laughs> So it's hard to separate like pure energy systems from other confounding variables, especially in CrossFit. But yeah, I mean, you can do that. I can have somebody do like a, a you know, a 30 minute row to get a sense of like oxidative capacity. Um, but again, like height's going to be a confounding variable there too. So I look at CrossFit as like, you have to use every muscle fiber on the spectrum from like really slow. It's like super fast and powerful because burpees, you know, not super hard squat snatches at like near your max. That's going to be every muscle fiber you got fast twitch. So really like the energy systems to me is more like 
there's a continuum of muscle fibers from slow oxidative to pure fast glycolytic and a bunch of hybrids that can do both. How do we train them all to do what they can do best? Like a super fast twitch fiber is never going to have tremendous endurance. It's just not. It's your one rep max fiber. And a super slow fiber is not going to be strong. But in the middle, there's a lot of range, a lot of spectrum. How do we get aerobic capacity all the way as far up the fast spectrum as we can and get strength and power down towards the slow ones? And that's, I think, how you build a CrossFit engine. Hmm. I think the energy systems is like, hey, you got to think differently about this. But you do. But they all kind of work together. And I think the original teaching of like energy systems are based on the duration of the workout doesn't take into account when the workout has four tasks in it. Right. Like when you're running, sure. Cause it's a small group of muscles doing the same thing a thousand times. But like I did muscle ups, burpees and snatches and it was only nine minutes. Why does everything hurt? And I'm super tired. It's only nine minutes. Well, it's cause it's mostly glycolytic and you can't recover from that. And that's a different conditioning conversation. Yeah. It, that model only works correctly if it's a maximal effort in like yes. a, some sort of a, like for example, if the duration is, 12 seconds and you can do a maximal effort across that, then it's yes. accurate. If it's a yes. 10 minute effort and it's maximal, it's still pretty accurate. But it's like, if you're doing some sort of mixed work where it's, you know, higher intensity sometimes cause you're lifting a weight and then you're recovering, like walking between elements and all like it all of a sudden it gets very confusing and not straightforward. So it's all blended exactly. together. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. So another thing that I know you do is since we're talking about the fiber types is that you will, either hit like a go for like a certain quality or go after a specific like fiber type in a workout. Give me an example of a workout where you might be just going after one fiber type and why you'd be doing that. Well, the obvious ones are the pure fast and pure slow. Like we have a glycolytic day where it's like bike max effort, 20 seconds rest a minute 40. So it's like a one to five max effort. That's fast twitch. Go for it. And then, you know, row 30 minutes at an endurance pace, 75%, you know, seven out of 10 intensity. That That's an aerobic day on oh, that's slow twitch, take it easy, have a quick chat with your friend, you know, that's fine. You're building endurance, not power. It's in the middle is where, kind of where the magic happens. So the ascending days that you noted a little earlier, those can be somewhat aerobic bias toward the fast twitch, but Really, on the interval days, if you keep everything at the maximum sustainable pace, you know, hit every workout or hit every round 10 calories, you're going to keep recruiting additional muscle fibers every time because more and more of them will fatigue. So you'll recruit more to do the same amount of work and you're going to get the stimulus that way. So the, the magic really happens in the, the hybrid fibers, which are part slow, part fast. How much oxidative capacity can you put into those fibers? And that's something I think we do very well. The other thing to keep in mind is like the pure slow and pure fast is generally measured by like the protein content in the muscle fiber. And that corresponds to the contraction speed, which is what I call it fast and slow. The energy producing apparatus inside is not the same as the contraction apparatus. So there's some overlap as far as like fast and slow contraction will not necessarily correspond one-to-one to glycolytic and oxidative. In other words, something can be more fast than slow but still have a lot of oxidative capacity. Now, as you get near the extremes, it's certainly true. Your fastest fast twitch fibers are not going to have many mitochondria, not going to be real good oxidatively, and your slow ones are not going to do a lot of glycolytic energy. But in between, there's a broad spectrum. And I think getting the intensity up without getting the intensity to max effort, I know you, you're not supposed to say that in CrossFit, right? It's like, no, it's as many rounds as possible. Well, what if we did 80% of that? And that's like, you know, another thing we do is like, not every not everything is like, 
finish as fast as you can. Like on the endurance stuff, we tell people don't sprint at the finish. In your 20 minute, 30 minute endurance, I don't care if you row, you know, 6,800 meters or 6,900, it doesn't matter. You rode for 20 minutes or 30 minutes at a nice manageable pace. Your heart rate got up to 75%. That's an endurance day. I don't care what the meters are. As long as you didn't completely dog it, as long as you didn't collapse during the thing, you did it right. So really like setting the intervals to be max repeatable is how you get further up the muscle fiber spectrum without like crushing fatigue. Right. That's definitely a balance that's difficult for a lot of more novice athletes to get, especially yes. like if people have been yeah, around a while, they understand that like you can't crush yourself every day, but the people who are just starting CrossFit, especially, um, they like to throw themselves against the wall quite a bit. And I, I think part of that is just like the personality type that CrossFit attracts. Sometimes the workouts are competitive. Like I joined a gym near Navy base with like a lot of younger guys and we killed ourselves every day Yeah, <laughs> because it was competitive and fun. Like I, I like that stuff. It wasn't until I like went to a regional. I was like, huh, a whole different level of stuff out there. I got to be a little smarter, but there's that, that desire to compete is what gets people to the gym. So like from an exercise standpoint, that's all good from a long-term training standpoint. It has to be moderated. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really good. I want to touch a little bit more on the easier side of the aerobic work, because again, I think a lot of people are doing CrossFit, especially Metcons, or even if they're just doing conditioning work, it tends to be intense. What are some of the physiological benefits or biological adaptations that people get from like, oh, and this is relative, but we can just say easier aerobic work. Yeah. So just think of it. I tell people like conditioning is systemic heart, lungs, blood, and it's cellular. Systemic adaptations are like more blood pumped per heartbeat, uh, you know, um, stroke volume, they call it, or like higher red blood cell content. That happens to every, like you only have one heart. It gets trained, right? You can only, you can carry so much oxygen in the blood, how much oxygen in your blood doesn't affect like how the cells are going to use it. So those are, those are the systemic adaptations. The, the longer, slower stuff is going to be great for systemic adaptations. You want to pump more blood per heartbeat, systemic, go slow. You want more red blood cell content up to a point that's going to work anyway, go slow and go long. You want to not take down your other workouts and not take your intensity away, not be super fatigued. Going long and slow is fantastic for that. It's it's a it's a foundational building block to any program. The other half of conditioning is the cellular aspect, the mitochondria, the enzymes in your cells. If a cell doesn't have the mitochondria in it, if it doesn't have the infrastructure to use the oxygen, then your resting heart rate can be two, and it won't matter to those cells. So, the long slow stuff is you know promoted by the endurance community because. That's a community that does long, slow sports, but rowing an hour a day will be great for you. It's going to have a pretty low ceiling for how much better it makes you at seven minute workouts. So that's like, I would say, if you're doing that, do it. It's going to help you in a lot of ways. You're going to burn more fat because the, the lower, um, the lower intensity is more like fat preferring as fuel. It's going to, so you're still going to have the, you know, the, the carbs, the glycogen in your cells to do the high intensity stuff. Um, if weight loss is a goal, long, slow stuff is a nice way to burn a lot of calories without trashing your body. But from a conditioning standpoint, it's like, it's 40% of the problem. So do it, but you know. Yeah. So for athletes who have a delivery limitation where like their heart and their lungs are the problem, like those systemic systems are was actually slowing them down than the longer endurance type work, which is likely for a lot of CrossFitters, part of the problem could really help them out for the sports side Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. The, the, the real, like the science behind gear of the engine, part of the science is like when you train very intensely, you break down a lot of glycogen. And so hydrogen ions, protons are released from that. It's going to lower the pH of your cells. That lower pH impedes the signaling process to the mitochondria. So like all the CrossFit workouts in the world never build an engine. I wish I knew this in 2012, not in 2016. I would have saved a lot of time, maybe done a little better in my one games appearance than 14th place. But that's that that lowered pH is the is the problem. So the long slow stuff is the answer to that. It's well, it's part of the answer to it. Yeah, it's a, it's a way to at least balance it out where you're not doing that all the time and making yourself. You know, yeah. it, it takes high intensity to to train your body to neutralize to buffer the hydrogen ions, right. but low intensity is going to be, like I said, 40% of the solution. Yep. I think where people err is they've been doing the high intensity thing for a while. They realize that we're just describing like they're getting burnout and they're not getting that adaptation they want. So they stop doing that and move to the high intent or the, sorry, the longer, slower stuff at an easier, but at a certain point, like you have to be able to do both. And if you don't do the short stuff, you will never be good at the short stuff. That's exactly right. What we see all the time, and I'm sure you do too, and a lot of other coaches, if you're listening to this, you see it too. Okay, I did a lot of Metcons and I got better, but I still got gas sometimes. So I started doing long, slow stuff. I, I got gassed a little less, but I still got gas sometimes. I don't understand it. I'm doing the high intensity and the low intensity. Okay, there's something in the middle, right? Like that's, <laughs> that, there's a bridge between them. Like your, your fast twitch stuff is good. Your slow twitch is good. What about like the 60% in the middle? That's where you're, that's, that's what we kind of learned along the way. It's, it's going slow and doing Metcons will make you super fit. But if you want to be a competitor or you want to, you know, shorten that training time a little bit, it's, it's a little more comprehensive than that. Yeah. So you would have what I would probably call like maybe a strength conditioning biased model where it's more so like the ends of the spectrum, maybe further away from competition where it's maybe more so the longer, slower stuff um, combined with like obviously the strength training um, and like neural recruitment and all that. How do you go about if you have a competitive athlete, someone who's actually wanting to compete, not just like general fitness or preparing for like a, a single known event, like a, a row or something, a uh, time trial, but if they have like, they want to compete in the sport of CrossFit, how do you like progress them over maybe a course of like several months to a year towards a competition? Um, that's a great question. Obviously it's going to depend a lot on the athlete, right? But like, um, trying to think of the right metaphor for this, but we start general and get specific. So like the general building blocks of CrossFit are strength and conditioning and skills is the building block too. So strength is like, you know, we'll attack that and leave the conditioning like a, like a program on your computer that's running in the background. Like there's a program right now that keeps like refreshing my screen. I don't see it. It just keeps the lights on. That's what the conditioning is for a while. Just do the basics in the background, build the strength up, then bring the conditioning up. And if there's any technical things, we'll do that last. So it's like get strong, get conditioned a little slower. Okay. You're strong. Now get technical at weightlifting. So we bring that strength over to your weightlifting and then ramp up the conditioning a little bit more. And then, okay, we're a couple months out. How are your skills looking? Are there any skills gaps that need to be plugged? Because one of the things I've learned is like all the skills training is brutal on your shoulders. Like, Oh, 30 muscle ups again. Like, you know what? Not today. So now if an athlete's 19 years old, Hey, have at it. But if you're in your thirties, like all those muscle ups, all the handstand pushups, it gets taxing after a while. And those kind of things, if you're generally fit, can be layered on top somewhat quickly. So I would say we start general, a lot of strength, conditioning, and get more and more specific. Okay, you're strong. You got a 450 back squat. Your snatch is stuck at 200. Let's, let's 
do some technical snatch stuff. And since that requires less energy, let's ramp the conditioning up. Okay, now you're two months out. Which skills gaps do we have to plug? Now, obviously, if there's a big problem, the athlete can't walk on his hands. We're going to address that from day one. But generally, like, yes, we we start with the, the, the big picture stuff, the strength, the conditioning, then the technical stuff, and then, like, refining it, you know, at the top. So... Right. If someone has all the skills, it's not that challenging to have them brush up on them within the last, you know, a couple of months going into competition yeah. versus hammering them all the time and having that volume just beat them down. There's an intake process we use with, you know, a, a gap analysis, like what's missing. Okay. You got a 500 squat. Great. We're going to do a lot of weightlifting and not a lot of raw strength training, right? You, you can row the 2k and you know, 550. Like, <laughs> we're doing CrossFit, like you row. But like, yeah, we, you know, okay, you can't do ring muscle ups. Well, here's a progression to get you there. We're going to dedicate a lot of time to that. So that's going to take the weightlifting down, the shoulders are sore. So it's, it's just a, a balancing act. But yes, in general, we go general to specific, big foundational stuff and then refinement towards competition day. And the same with intensity. Like, we'll, we'll I'd rather bias toward volume a year out from competition because I don't want a tired athlete than trying to like get razor sharp for competition. Like the competition should be the last step in like the last level of intensity. So it's like volume, high intensity, low, and those kind of cross as you get closer to the competition, you're building intensity. And the competition is like the last, like the capstone of the intensity journey. So it's volume and then intensity as you get closer. And when to make that switch is athlete dependent. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Basically a, an X, but at what point does that, X intersect in terms of volume intensity right. spectrum as, as it depends athlete. On the athlete. If, you're, if you're super advanced and that's your fourth trip to the games, then you probably don't need to ramp up the intensity until you get pretty close to competition day. If you're, you know, trying to make a sanctional and you're, you're a decent athlete, but you're not high level yet, you might need to see the intensity sooner. So you have some idea of what it feels like, yeah. when you know, fourth place, top three, go to the games. And there's one workout left. And the guy next to you is the guy you're competing against. Like that intensity is going to be blackout. So I'm not saying I would, I would blackout an athlete too often, but they should know what it feels like to be out of breath. And there's 30 thrusters left. Whereas like a super advanced athlete has already felt that. Right. And I still take the same approach. Like, all right, it's the off season. We're going to do the general stuff, but you can hold off a while on the sports specific training on the advanced athlete versus like the intermediate level who's trying to get advanced needs more sports specific. Yeah. Someone just hasn't done a lot of Metcons where they haven't done move, novel movement pairings. And, you know, for example, they haven't done muscle ups after they've done wall balls. Like you don't yeah. know what your shoulders feel like after you've done those until, until you've actually done that. So it's more important to get that specific we're, experience. Yeah. And we're, we're kind of reaching an inflection point in the sport. If you look at the top guys and girls too, they were all there in like 2013. Like Noah Olson was at the regional when I went, I think he's probably 14 years old. He was at the regional <laughs> 2012 when I went and like, at that point, he was killing every event, but he wasn't strong enough. So he, he got like last place on a heavy deadlift thing. And like, that's why he didn't make the games. I think every year since then, he's made it. And I bring this up only to point out that everyone who's at the top now has gone through the, like, I'll just do more volume. But wait a minute. So you're now getting an up and coming generation like the under 25s now who actually started training smart from the beginning. Yeah. But the people who were there eight, nine years ago have done five Metcons a day. They've done it all wrong before they got it right. And those people are now at the top. So they've all been through the same crap I have and they you know, took it a lot further than I did. But uh, so, you know, everything we're talking about is the, the, the product of doing it wrong first. But yes, general then specific ramp the intensity up closer to competition. Mm -hmm. So 
it sounds like you have people do a lot more absolute strength, like for example, like powerlifting type stuff further away from the competition, like more of a base phase um, of like um, generating strength. Is that accurate? In principle, I mean, in principle, yeah, but it, it, you know, again, it depends on the athlete, but it's like, you don't need a lot of weight to teach someone weightlifting in the beginning. If they're you know, yeah. new at it. like I've had people come in with a 475 squat and like a 155 snatch. And this is a person who's never really done weightlifting before and just yanks the bar off the ground and, you know, muscle snatches it, right? right. I was that guy. <laughs> I get it. That guy should be snatching, I don't know, 265, 275. You can get him much closer to that number with slow pulls, with lightweight snatch balances, with block work. That's not massive intensity. Right. And their snatch will go up very quickly because the underlying strength is there. It's a different situation. If you got a guy that squats 405 and snatches 275, like, all right, everything lines up. You know how to snatch. You're ratios are good. You have to get stronger. Yeah. For most people who are kind of like, all right, I like CrossFit. I think I want to try competing. You know, they squat 365 and they snatch 205. There's a lot of work that could be done on both fronts. So it really just depends on how the athlete presents themselves when they, you know, when they show up. But in general, yes, I would rather like devote some time to making the athlete just strong, full body, strong squat, deadlift, press, and then introduce the weightlifting in like manageable doses to get them technically advanced. And then once they're balanced, you know, when your numbers are balanced, it means if you get stronger, you're like, if your squat goes up, your snatch will go up, your clean will go up. When you get to that balance, it's great. But most people are the first time they do weightlifting is CrossFit. So, oh, there's seven snatch. Okay. You know, I thought that was done by like hairy Turkish guys. Like, I, I'm going to do that. Okay. Right. I mean, that's, that, that's like the, the stigma that weightlifting had before CrossFit. So it gets, you know, it's, it's Russians, it's a Bulgarians, guys on a lot of juice, but it turns out like there's more to it than that. So it just depends how the athlete shows up when they walk in the gym, how to balance. But yes, for the most part, in principle, start with the basics, strength and power, and then layer on the weightlifting on top of that. Start with the conditioning, and then the last layer is the skills. But it's always athlete specific. Right. And that's one of the good things about individual design, um, one-on-one programming is that like you can sit down with a coach like you and like the look through all the ratios of your list, be like, oh, like you know, snatch might be, you know, 60% of back squat, for example. And if you're way under that number, obviously you're going to spend way more time working on the, you know, the speed lifts, um, you know, the, the only lifts, and you're not going to spend as much time doing the slower yeah. lifts and <laughs> like vice versa. Like your squats, not, not good. And you can clean uh 90% of your front squat. Like you just need to squat more. <laughs> like, like that's what it comes yeah, down to. Right. Right. So yeah. yeah, that's one of the, again, one of the really helpful things about individual design. Another thing that I've heard you talk about, and I know this is in another one of your programs on the, on the site is like power conversion essentially is what I would call it. Um, so like taking strength and moving it more towards the speed end of the continuum. So like absolute strength moving to absolute speed, you know, moving that down the continuum somewhat. So it's more transferable to sporting contexts, um, for a lot of people. Are there specific like techniques that you use drills, that sort of thing? Um, I think I maybe, I guess, uh, so strength versus power, these words get used interchangeably incorrectly, including by me all the time. Like, oh, that athlete's really powerful. Like, no, they're strong. What's the difference? Strength is force. So like an 800 deadlift, 600 squat, that's a strong athlete. But power is force and velocity. So like the example I always use is like a, a baseball pitcher and a shot putter are both throwing things as hard as they can, right? One throws like a 16-pound shot the other one throws a five ounce baseball they both want maximum power but if you saw a shot putter next to a pitcher they look different 
So they train differently. The shot putter, because he's throwing a fairly heavy object, spends more time working on force. So they're, you know, I forgot where I read this, but 50 to 60% of their training time is in the weight room getting stronger. Baseball pitcher, you know, some pitchers have never lifted a day in their lives. Yeah. Boston 97 miles an hour. It's leverage, it's technique, it's velocity. So bridging those two gaps between the shot putter and the pitcher is, is where power comes from. So like an 800 pound deadlift is a lot more strength than a 400 pound snatch, but a lot less power. So you get maximum power when you're at about 35% of one rep max force. So basically you increase velocity, go slower, or sorry, go lighter so you can go faster. It's really just training the body to go faster. But it's um it's some of that is technical and quality of movement. Like you, you get increased velocity when you um move more uh um more efficiently. And the rest of it is things like plyometrics, um, stretch shortening cycle, teaching your body to like store the energy from movement and then let it go on the, you know, the next rep. So that's, it's really like most people that leave the force, the build up the force with strength and then the velocity with like increased quality of movement, some basic plyometrics and more unweighted stuff. In short, to go faster, you have to go faster. So jump squats, right? Um, drop jumps, depth depth jumps, a lot of jumping, things like that will actually build up the velocity side of things. Some of that is, you know, a genetic limitation, like fast twitch fibers are faster, period. And while that can be trained, you can train your fibers to get faster. You know, there's, there's some boundaries about that, some boundaries around that, but, but the velocity side of things is really go faster to go faster, go lighter, unweighted jumps, stretch shortening cycle, um, acceleration, sprints, shuttle run, things like that. Yeah. I find that stuff um, especially helpful for like younger masters athletes who are like, it, it seems like if you watch like a lot of the teen athletes, like their cycle speed on movements, like even when they're doing like one rep maxes in like, you know, they snatch one rep max. It's so fast versus like when you watch, you know, cycle speeds for a lot of the masters athletes, like that's one of the things that slows down the most, even if it's the same weight, their speed of contraction is less. I know. I watch myself on video sometimes. It feels so fast. I'm like, wow, I'm slow. <laughs> like, like among guys my age, I'm one of the fittest. Like, I'm, you know, I'm so slow. And then you look over what they all are. Okay, it's not so bad. But yes, and part of that is like training, unless you're training explicitly for explosiveness and velocity and power, you're going to slow down. Like muscle fibers get slower with training. Anybody who's a master's athlete now has had a phase in their life where they were like, if not a distance runner, like a recreational runner, or they just run more, like, oh, you know, I'm going to run. That slows down your muscle fibers so much. It just slows them down. It converts from like, like type two fibers will become hybrids and, and it, it biases everything towards aerobic energy production and less ATP phosphorylation potential, which just means the concentration of ADP is lower. Um, that's what training does. It slows you down unless you, avoid that. By the time you're a master's athlete, so like 35 plus now, 40 plus, you've already had, like, I had a phase where I was running like 50 miles a week. I was lighter. I felt okay. It's pre-crossfit. That I must have lost so much power off of that that I have to then build back, right? So like training slows you down unless it, unless it avoids, by slows you down, I mean, increases the complement of slow twitch uh, muscle fibers. Right. You're basically so, optimizing for being slow. 
Like, yeah. Or just like doing more. So the way to, yeah, the way to get better at, at doing more work is like muscle fiber. Oh, we're going to be doing, we're going to be running a lot. Okay. That's oxidative. So that's more slow twitch fibers. It's more oxidative capacity, slower contraction velocity. Okay. This guy's cycle time sucks. Like that's how it comes about because training over time slows you down unless you train exclusively to stay or become more fast twitch. Mm-hmm. And there's no way around that. Like th- there's never going to be a day at which like, the masters athletes are faster than the teenagers. It's never going to happen yeah. more than it's going to happen that like a 45 year old, you know, is still leads the NBA in scoring. It's just never going to happen. Same kind of thing. You slow down with time. Yeah. I think part, part of that might be like joint resilience, just like overall elasticity and you know, the stretch shortening cycle, which you mentioned, are there anything, if we do have somebody who's listening and they did like an endurance protocol for a period of time, is there anything that they could do? Like say like that's actually the goal is like they want to train to do like a marathon, um, but at some point they want to come back and be able to do you know power lifts and do them well or whatever right like high high power stuff. Um, what could they do while they're doing like more endurance based protocols to minimize some of the you know long term effects where they could still get a lot of the endurance adaptations but they're not maybe hurting themselves too much. So if the goal is to run a marathon, then that has to be the primary emphasis, right? They they got to put the road miles in. You can't. There was a thing with CrossFit endurance in the past where one of the coaches promoted the idea that you could do, you know, ultra marathon type stuff with lower volume endurance work. Yeah, intervals and then go run your race. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that was wildly successful because if your primary goal is endurance based, that's where your primary effort has to be. With an athlete like you're describing, I wouldn't want to load them up with a lot of weight because that's so antithetical to the marathon goal. Right. And you don't want like if you have to run, you know. 26 miles one day, you have to build up to that with like a lot of double digit mile days. So putting a lot of weight on your spine, hips and knees with like heavy back squats or deadlifts, it's the wrong answer for that kind of athlete. I would say, you know what, we're going to do like a couple, like twice a week, maybe three times a week. We're going to do 20 minutes of rudimentary plyometrics. Yeah. We're going to do like jump squats with the bar. Like we're not going to, you're going to go as fast as you can, as hard as you can, but it's going to be lightweight. So you're not going to be destroying those fast twitch fibers. You're not going to be pounding your joints. Um, probably stay away from things like drop jumps, super, super taxing, but maybe like a lot of skips and just unweighted plyometrics, real basic at like a maintenance dose so that it's not taking away from the primary goal. Yeah. And I think that's just general good fitness advice anyway. Yeah. I, you could probably say that across the board. Like if you want to improve one quality, maintenance of other qualities, just so that way you can go back to that when you want to go back to that. That's really like the, the fundamental problem of CrossFit is like, all right, I don't have eight hours a day to train. Like physically, it's not possible. You know, it's like you can't train high intensity for eight hours every day, every day. It's a, a very short life expectancy as an athlete doing that. Right. So it's like, it's an optimization problem. The reason I like this stuff is I can look at an athlete and go, okay, strong as an ox, no weightlifting, some endurance, zero gymnastics. How do I move this person up? And the next person is like, okay, can't lift the bar, was a college level gymnast, decent engine. It's a whole different problem. Like how do you, how do you stop? So each athlete is a new challenge. That's why it's fun. Right? if it was the same thing every time, I probably would have gotten bored from it. Honestly, like I'm, I'm more curious than that. But every athlete is like, okay, you're 41 and you want to make the games. All right, cool. You're 22 and you, you know, it's just everything's a new set of variables. So each each situation is solving a new problem. That's what I love about it. And you probably do too if you're in this game a while. It's like, 
Everything's different. Yeah. This one wants to do a marathon and do some heavy lifting. This one wants to lift, but doesn't want to get fat. This one wants to be in the sanctions. Like, it's awesome. Yeah. Everybody has their own problem. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's, I think another thing that I really enjoy about it is like, even if someone's gifted in one area, you're going to have something that you are not gifted at in the sport. Like if you play basketball, you could be gifted in basically every aspect of the sport because you're sure. tall and you're fast twitch and you can, you know, whatever. But yeah, in our sport, because you have to do so many different disciplines, there's chances are there's going to be something that you're not good at. <laughs> so like the, you know, the big news, like Matt Fraser just decided to retire. Like he's, 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 Tired of taking everyone else's money. He wants to move on with his life. Okay. Yeah, I'll let somebody else win. But like, I watch the CrossFit games every year. And I watch, you know, as this guy destroys everybody year after year after year. He's done a lot of cool stuff. Anybody who follows CrossFit would have to agree with that. To me, the most impressive thing he ever did was in the marathon row. I think he finished like 10th or 11th. You know, 10th or 11th is the worst finish. That event is so not good for him. Like height is the best predictor of rowing success because you can pull the handle further every mm-hmm. time. So for that guy to beat 30 other dudes, and I think he's five foot six. I, I've met Matt a few times. He's no more than five foot six. So like for him to do that and be in the top quarter of the field is like the exact example of you have to be good at so many things. So, all right, you're a weightlifter. You clean 380. Big deal. You're supposed to clean 380. You're a weightlifter. But at five foot six, you're not supposed to be like, you know, one of the top 10 rowers at the CrossFit Games. And he was. So that's exactly the thing. It's like, there's so many different things to enhance. And to me, like, that's his best performance. Like, everybody liked the clean ladder where he beat one of the panchicks. But, like, that's cool, but you're a weightlifter. You're supposed to win. The rowing was like, how is this guy not in last? Like, he's the shortest guy. It was really awesome. So that's, that's like a mathematician. Yeah, I just looked it up. He was 59th on 19.1. Yeah, it's bizarre, That's crazy. right? Wall balls and rowing. I was like, if you're five six, you should be like, you know, even if you're the fittest person in the world, you should be way off yeah. the leaderboard. Not even close. That's that's exactly. So like, that's that's an example of it too. Like 59th in a workout. That, but let's take pick the two things you're built to suck at. Turns out you're on the first page of the leaderboard. Like, so that that that's an example of like really taking you know physiological limitations, saying you know what I'm going to train those way, and that that's what CrossFit is. It's like, where am I limited? Like, all right, I'm six foot three. Like, I'm never going to be that great at chest and bar pulls. My arms are too long. How do I get good enough at them so that my strengths can shine elsewhere? It's the same problem for everybody. Yeah. But the the thing with Matt with the rowing is kind of an example that I think everybody knows. Like, he's the most prominent athlete. So, it's a good, it's a good reference. Yeah, it's point. a great example of that. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of like body type, you know, fiber composition, yeah. just like every little aspect of you. Yeah. Yeah. There's all so combined. Many little things to, 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 yeah, I think this to, makes it fun for sure. Right. So, yeah. All right. So last question for you. If you could recommend one style of protocol or maybe one conditioning tool or something um, to the listeners to improve their engine specifically, what would it be? Like a piece of equipment? Piece of equipment. It could be a style of protocol. Yeah. Again, I know it's generalized. I love the rower because it's indestructible and you can do so many different things on it. I bought a rower in 2012. My use of it is well documented on social media. (laughs) The only thing I've ever done is oil the chain and change the batteries. And it still works like the day I bought it. So I love the rower and I've built a pretty sizable engine on myself with it. I have a bike too. It's a lot of fun. I think if you only could do one training style, I would try to combine short bursts of maximum intensity with like long intervals in between. So like, I'll give you an example, like every minute on the minute for five minutes, bike or row max effort for like 10 seconds. And then the next five minutes, like just take it at like an endurance pace. 
do that like two or three times per session, three times a week. On the other days, or twice a week. On the other days, just roll really slow, like a nice leisurely 40 minutes. You can do it on the bike too. Do it on the skier. I cannot ski for that long. Like it's not, I physically can't. I just, I'm jumping up and down for 40. You know what? I'm going to do something <laughs> up. Like I, I just, it's not for me. I can do it for 20 minutes. I love the skier. I'm not criticizing the product. I'm talking about my taste for how I like to train. Yeah. It's not a long ski. If I'm going to ski for a long time. I want to be on the mountain in the cold. Right. So like, um, but no, like bursts of, of maximum intensity, short bursts of max intensity combined with moderate intensity work um, will do wonders. If you only do one thing, just do that. Yeah. Gets a little bit of everything. Yeah, it, it's exactly right. Exactly. If you want to be more technical, you're, you're, you're training the ability to neutralize hydrogen ions or protons, keep your pH up, and then you're building oxidative capacity behind that. So, so you won't get a ton of glycolytic power that way, but you'll have enough and you'll have enough underlying oxidative power that you'll do really well. I love it. Cool. Hey, Matt, thanks for doing this today. Thanks for, thanks for making time. Hey, it's Ben again. And I want to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. And I do this through the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes' ability in a particular area. So, for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics-focused training. And there are four different silos, so athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle-ups or handstand push-ups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coaches' notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you can be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, your first muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that I really want to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to zorfitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay the course.